Welcome to another episode of the Sports Ethos Dallas Mavericks podcast. I'm your host, Lawrence Brooks, here with my incredible co-host, Corbin Ford, and we're back to talk about this game three of the Dallas Mavericks and Utah Jazz playoff series. Man, um, final score, of course, the Mavericks won 126-118, and they're just gaining confidence by the day. Corbin, man, exciting game. Looks like the Mavericks can do no wrong right now. Jason Kidd is putting on a master class of a coaching job. Jeez, what 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 are your just what are your overall thoughts on this game? Like, just talk to me, man. Dude, I I don't even know how to how to respond aside from just blown away by the way the Mavs have continued to just roll in this series. I mean, you know, you had that first close game that's now looking more and more like an aberration to Utah, and then they came back with back-to-back monster games. Um, and this one, I mean, the, the level of shot-making, you know, the level of, of, of strategizing from Jason Kidd um, to, to force the Utah Jazz out of their element a little bit, you know, the the, the um, adjustments on adjustments and the fact that now Luka Doncic is, is potentially coming up. Like, there is so much that it transpired over the last 24 hours, but especially in those 48 minutes in game three. And I think a big reason I think we both know is just the way that Jalen Brunson has welcomed himself to this playoff stage. And it's not like this is the first time, but he has made it his own. Yeah. Before I dive into my thoughts on the game, let me give some, some thoughts before the thoughts. And for me, this series is more of an overall kind of, how can I put this? The confidence level. So what you will see a lot of times in playoff series or with players in general in basketball is when you give them light, when you give them hope, if they're good players, they will turn into great players. And right before our eyes, I talked about it in in the first podcast and I said the the shot making clearly, you know, the most obvious thing that had to happen. Because I felt like the defense was sustainable. And here we go. The the Mavericks are simply starting to make shots. And when you start to make shots, you start to gain confidence. And when you start to gain confidence, that confidence can be contagious. And that contagious shot-making energy is rubbing off on everyone. And at this point, you're looking at a basketball team that simply believes they're better. Because they're gaining confidence by the dribble gaining confidence by the shots being made and gaining confidence by the game plan. The game plan is being executed very well. And so now you have a team where you get David Bertans comes out and has a great game. Maxi Kleba, a guy that we said they were going to need a lot of is having a great, is, is starting to warm up in this series. I mean, his, his shooting has skyrocketed since the first game. Then you go into Brunson who obviously has turned into clearly Luka Doncic Jr., and now you got Spencer Dinwiddie, who's also making plays and getting in the lane. And so for me, you're seeing a team that is completely confident, that's rolling, that is executing to perfection, and everything is clicking. And to me, that is a really dangerous team to face. Oh, absolutely. You don't want to give a team that is already good hope, you know? The Mavericks were in a situation where they lost their, their best player, um, one of their leaders, you know, a big part of everything they do in their offensive ecosystem. And it could be easy for a team to fold, you know? You take it with the game against, you know, game one against Utah where they didn't have the best offensive performance. The Jazz did seal the deal. 
did the Mavericks say, oh, you know what? Like, this is to be expected. We never look at Doncic. Or did they bounce back? Jalen Brunson said, you know what? I can bring scoring to the table. Spencer Dinwiddie saying that I can, um, you know, add more um, to the table as well. You know, looking at Maxi Kleber, a guy who went from shooting 23% in the playoffs to shooting um, 89 from three in game two and then knocking down four more triples in game three. Like, you're right. You're giving this confidence to these players, and it's infectious. And it's not like these guys can't already hoop. So now you're giving guys who rediscover. Wait a second. You know, like, I can assume a little more usage. I can knock down some more shots. Our defense can be more together. In the absence of a guy who usually kind of pulls this together, um, at least from an offensive standpoint, and that's scary stuff. Uh, you know, that, that that confidence, it's key. That's the reason they say that. Yeah, and, and, and just to put this into perspective, this was the first win in Utah for the Mavericks since April 11th, 2016, which is completely insane. That's a that's a, an extremely long time ago. And for them to roll into Utah in a playoff series, which is the a tougher game to win than a regular season game on a, you know, on a random Tuesday night, they still hadn't found any success. And somehow they found it in this playoff series in this game. And a lot of that just go, gives credit to the coaching staff and to the players for just waking up and let's not forget it's not as if the utah jazz just played some horrible game what makes this even more impressive is the mavericks they had to go win this game and so just to put this in a little bit of a um, bigger context you know the jazz shot 56 percent from the field in this game they were 186 and 10 in franchise history when they've shot 56 percent or better also the Jazz shot 17 for 17 on twos, 15 of 15 from the free throw line in the second half of the game, and the Mavericks still won this game. Utah outshot the Mavs from three by percentage, and volume yet was only plus nine in the second half. So this game was still within the realms for the Utah Jazz to win. Some of this stuff came down to the fact that Maxi Kleber was in foul trouble and he's been playing outstanding on the defensive end um, for this series, but they clearly missed his shot making and his versatility when he was off the floor. And so we've talked about this a bit where we know what they're trying to do with Utah. They're trying to limit their, their three point attempts, which they have cut them almost in half at this point. Um, They're not getting up as many opportunities, but they're having, opportunity to score closer to the rim and even in this game they were six for six in the restricted area there's knocking down 12 um 12 footers on a regular because they're seeing one-on-one defense and it's not a situation where they where they're taking really tough threes they're getting tough twos but guys on their team that are really good shot makers are knocking down these shots and so for dallas they still went 18 of 42 from three. That's 42.9%, which is really good. The Jazz only shot 28 threes, and they were at 32%. And so the formula is working. So if they can continue to keep up this recipe, I just don't see how the Utah Jazz end up overcoming what the Dallas Mavericks are doing to them. No, especially when you consider the fact that the Utah Jazz aren't exactly a a, a, a team that is in lockstep with each other right now. You know, there is some division there. You know, there is some um, ruffling uh, uh, between 
Donovan Mitchell, of course, and Rudy Gobert. Um, looking at some of the defense of the Utah's perimeter players and the lackluster area that they're able to kind of defend their position, forcing Rudy to have to assume a lot of effort and causing breakdowns from there. Uh, there's a disconnect, it seems, between Coach Quinn Snyder and the rest of the Jazz. So there are issues, like, up and down. This is a team right for the picking. Dallas is taking full advantage of that, playing to their strengths, playing together and taking Utah out of their system. And instead of trusting each other more, Utah is falling more and more into, okay, every person for themselves. So it's almost like the perfect um, team, like, self-destruction before our eyes as Dallas fans. Yeah, and and again to go back to and I, and it's probably you know it's rubbing off everywhere. So they're not defending as well as they would like. They're not necessarily making the adjustments that's putting them in advantageous or winning positions, and so I'm sure that's frustrating. And then on top of that, they just the cohesiveness which you just spoke of um, with them just as a group in terms of how how tight knit they may or may not be. And so going back to Dallas looking at talking about the coaching and the strategic side of things. So obviously Dorian Finney Smith and Reggie Bullock are playing a ton of minutes. I mean, they're both playing minutes in the forties, these last few games, the Mavericks already aren't a deep team in general. So they're really thin without Luka Doncic and them playing this high of minutes. I don't know how long they can continue to do that while still playing at a high level, but it's working right now. But speaking of that, they had to play Josh green, um, more more spot minutes and in the first game he he was a disaster to just put it plain and simple but since then Jathan Kidd has made adjustments on what to do with him because at, at one point he was just a bystander in the corner all they were doing was leaving Rudy Gobert or Hassan Whiteside to play middle field center field if you if you may and just help on drives but the subtle difference that Jason Kidd started to make is one telling him to get up the floor and be one of the first guys up the floor to put pressure on the rim, make guys have to have to commit and then find kickouts, which he did a really good job of and ended up with six assists, but also putting the ball in his hands in general, just to be a person to make plays as opposed to being a standard and doing that. He was able to find David Bertans. He was able to find Maxi Kleber. He found Dorian Finney Smith. And now you see the usage of him starting to become an advantage. And so that's another subtle um adjustment they've made that has also given them another layer of confidence because it's just another great button that Jason Kidd has pushed and that's just coming to show in several different ways in this series excellent point and you're right you're empowering other players to step up and, and bring what they have in their own diverse skill set to benefit the team and you're right Jason Kidd at this point has the Dallas queued up like a piano you know like pushing all the right buttons not only motivating them motivating them off the court in terms of confidence level, but the, the ability to face adversity and still perform at a high level. You could easily get this game and go, okay, Utah wins this. A bounce-back game after disappointing loss at Dallas for Utah. Now they're back in the friendly confines of home. They have the energy of the arena around them. Dwayne Wade's out there with Donovan Mitchell shooting before the game. You know, you got like a little bit of a reset for, on paper, a superior team against the Dallas Mavericks without their star player. And no. All of that just just served to be footnotes to an introduction for me on the show because Utah basically said they could take that and shove it, and we're going to come out here and play not only the right way but together for each other with Jason Kidd, like you said, utilizing players um, and getting the most out of them in, in in their time in the time of need for the team. Yeah, and, and I mean, 
And so talking about Jalen Brunson, who's clearly has been the star of the series, um, this, I mean, clearly the numbers. So, you know, he was 12 of 22 from the field. He didn't he actually didn't even make a three in this game, but was outstanding in, uh, in, in every other way you could imagine. He was perfect from the line going seven for seven. He had 31 points, five assists, one turnover, one turnover for a guy who has had the ball so much that it is insane to see that he has been able to control the game without giving the ball away um, at such a high rate. And so I watch how they're defending him. And overall, just in general, it's no secret what the what the Mavericks are doing in terms of just matchup hunting. And, and they don't have anybody on the perimeter that can stay in front of him or Spencer Dinwiddie. You might can even make an argument they don't have anyone that can stay in front of Josh Green either. But at this rate, they're just picking who they want to go up against, and they're just going by them. Now, clearly, Royce O'Neal is a guy who's their best perimeter defender. And now with him in the game, the subtle adjustment they tried to make is icing the screens. In that, Jalen Brunson immediately saw that and started to take advantage of that aggressiveness, get downhill, make plays in the paint, find shooters, and just put pressure on the rim. And so now that's not working either. And so you're like, geez, what can they go to the, to give them – help or give them light and Jalen Brunson is just he's basically dissecting everything they're trying to do and the fact that they don't have anybody on the perimeter that can guard these guys really spells trouble because this is something that they've been having issues with all year and now it's coming back to bite them in this very series even without Luca. agreed agreed I think that and I want to touch back on Jalen Brunson like you said this is one of those things where now maybe Dallas players are too hot, you know? Maybe you messed around and found out in terms of, you know, you don't have to worry about Jalen Brunson getting confidence. He has been on fire through three playoff games so far, 32 points per game, 5.3 rebounds and five assists. And get this, Orange, it's on a 33.6 usage rate. Like, he's rising to the occasion with strong efficiency on heavy usage, and he's perfectly fine doing that. And you already mentioned 31 and five he had in game three with just that one turnover. So you have these guys collectively on fire it, it might be it might be a little too late now i mean it's still it's still a series but i'm saying in terms of if utah's gonna win it it's not going to be or it's looking increasingly unlikely that it's going to be because dallas folks no utah's going to do something they haven't done the last couple of games and that's elevate their game like jalen um, brunson has like spencer did what he has um and like you said the mismatches on the floor by spacing out gobert's match the weak side corner Brunson can do what he wants in the paint. He's already too strong for a lot of the guards matching up. Usually Mike Conley can't have Royce O'Neal on everybody, and you have three perimeter players right now who are capable of going off. And when you use a perimeter player as a ball screener instead of a non-shooting big, it's basically giving the Mavericks the opportunity to, like you said, pick their defender to involve in the play and, and make them play defense one-on-one -on -one directly. And Brunson has punished those who've done that, also doing show and recover as well. So it's been it's been tough. Um for Utah, especially like you said, when Royce O'Neal is your on-ball defender stopper, but unless he's doing uh, kind of what he did uh, yesterday with a little bit of a dirty play, he's not going to stop shifty guards that break him down the bounce. And guess what? If he's not going to do it, no one else is. And side note to this, while this is clearly a Dallas Mavericks podcast and we love everything the Dallas Mavericks are doing, I don't like the bad rap that Rudy Gobert is getting in terms of being labeled as a guy that can't play in this series. The reason he's been rendered ineffective on the defensive end 
is because he's literally having to help at the rim all day long for guys that can't stay in front of anyone. So the guys that can't stay in front of anyone aren't getting nearly as, um, they're not getting nearly as much criticism as Rudy Gobert is. And I think that's so unfair to him because he's just, he's doing what he's supposed to do. He's protecting the paint, but if you can't protect the perimeter, he's trying to protect everything. And that's just not how this game works. And on top of that, you know, I, I, I feel like media, they're not, they're not encouraging or they're not, they're not giving this more credence than it deserves but I don't see as many media outlets bucking at this notion that somehow Rudy Gobert isn't, um, he's not valuable for this series because he can't defend quote unquote stretch bigs, but he, everything that he's getting caught on is all about the fact that their perimeter players are literally Swiss cheese right now. And I think that's unfair to him, but I'll digress. (laughs) No, you're right. Speak truth right there. It's it's hundred percent. Correct. Like, as we're Dallas Mavericks fans, of course, or interested in Dallas Mavericks, but we also we love the NBA, we love basketball, and the discourse surrounding the game is something that's important to both of us. So you're right. Like it's one thing to say, hey, Dallas is playing better, Dallas is playing harder, Utah's falling apart. Those are objective statements that are true. But to blame, you know, or just undue criticism on Rudy Gobert for no reason, it's it's not the type of discourse that we want to entertain here. Like we can call it out. And so I, I 100% respect on that, Lawrence. Like we have to be better, not us specifically, but just as basketball analysts to put the credit where credit's due and also assign blame where there is. And if you're blaming one guy for, you know, constantly having players scoring on him and he's the last line of defense, then you should wonder what's happening to the initial line of defense that we have to put all the blame on Rudy for being the last line of defense and, and spacing out and doing more than he should be required to do at this stage. So I, I'm 100% with you on that, bro. And, and prime example the so utah so utah was in this game they had opportunities i mean at the beginning of the game no one could really get going and you know jalen brunson got off to a reasonably good start dallas had a double digit lead at halftime but by the end of the third quarter the game was 97 91 i want to say i could be off by a couple of points but it was basically a single digit game utah pulled the game within one in the fourth quarter Dallas comes down immediately gets two layups from Spencer Dinwiddie. And that's just, and that's just a small picture of what's been happening in this series. Yes, they can score. Yes, they can put up points. They've been having to do it, you know, untraditionally um, compared to the 40 um, three point attempts. They're normally attempting per game, but now that they're having to take twos, they're getting they're They're putting the ball in the basket, but yet, and still when you need a stop at the most, important time they can't get one and they don't give not one layup they give up two layups to Spencer Dinwiddie and at that point the game never really they never really got back into a position where they felt they had a chance to to um to pull out this victory the Jazz were even even with the lineup of so they played Trey Burke Josh Green Dorian Finney-Smith Reggie Bullock and Maxi Kleba in a lineup and went up by nine points on the Utah Jazz with that lineup. And so it just goes to show you that they're able to make things happen almost with anybody they want on the floor at this time. So that can't be an indictment on Rudy Gobert. That has to be an indictment on the entire team, specifically perimeter guys like Mike Conley, 
who has been known as a defender and Donovan Mitchell, who I, I feel like he can be a defender, but he has to be a willing participant. And up to this point, he has not been. I agree. He seems so detached from defensive end of the ball. It's almost like he's saving his energy for his relentless offensive for four rays, which is fine. He is, you know, the leading uh, attacker for Utah's offense. But, like, this is pitiful. Like, pitiful defensive display. And at the end of it, I didn't like some of the Utah, like, passive aggressiveness that both him and Rudy Gobert have shown each other. But he's basically saying, oh, you know, our defensive intensity didn't really get together until, by the way, noted friend of Donovan Mitchell, Eric Pascal, got back into the game. Like, come on, bro. Like, there's no need for that. And you're also factually incorrect. Like, the defense got better maybe when he was in because you stepped up your level of defense. But, like, it was what it was. So I think you're right. You have to look. I mean, Mike Conley has looked almost detached in a way. You know, he had a really bad game two, a little bit better game three, but just ineffective in stopping anyone. And Donovan Mitchell, with his athletic gifts, you think that this is his time to utilize them on defensive end. And for whatever reason, he historically has not brought that to bear, but especially in a series where it's needed more than ever. Because guess what? It's the Dallas perimeter players who are cooking Utah. And Rudy Gobert, unless Con switches, is usually not defending Spencer Dinwiddie or Jalen Brunson. The only time he defends a, a perimeter player historically is that that guy can't score. And shout out to Jason Kidd. He is limiting lineups in which you can hide Rudy Gobert. So there's literally mu- m- not much else to say than to hold, you know, Donovan Mitchell accountable for his lack of effort on the defensive end. And it looks like they're probably going to go small, which it looks like that gave them a little bit of the momentum. But at the same time, with Maxi Kleeb off the floor, I think that might have been a little bit of a, a little bit of a skewed vision of what that of what that looks like for the Utah Jazz. But for the, but for for Utah, it simply looks like a team that doesn't enjoy playing with each other, and the Mavericks look like a team that's absolutely having a blast playing with the, with each other. So hey, no matter how it's how they slice it, I love it. Um, I'll I'll take it however we can get it. Talking about the talking about the Mavs for a bit more here, Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock are playing very very high minutes. Do you think this is sustainable? Um, even if Luca doesn't come back, I mean, it probably they have to do it no matter what. But they're they're averaging almost 44, 45 minutes a game. Are, does that make you does does that concern you with the series moving forward? I mean, it definitely concerns me, not even much for this series, but just in later series. Although both guys have been relatively durable, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith a little bit more than Bullock, but, like, they have to. They're the only reliable 3 and D wings that you have that are actual wing size outside of Josh Green on this Dallas roster. Both are better shooters, and defensively they bring more to the table in terms of being versatile and being on your better guys. So I don't think Dallas has much of a choice. And, yeah, when Luka comes back, they won't have to play as many minutes, but you still want to have those guys on the floor with Luca at, at most times of the game, being able to space the floor to limit defensive attention to Luca, and on the other end of the floor, guarding, you know, your best player, your second best player, going from there. So, yeah, it's troubling, but honestly, like, there's not much Dallas can do. You know, unless they plan on even then, and this probably isn't the perfect um, fit, like, you're not dusting off, you know, your deep bench. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And for me, moving forward, looking at game four, I don't think the Dallas Mavericks necessarily have anything they need to change. They have to continue to make threes, have to continue to get in the paint. And if they do those things, I think they will be successful defensively. I don't think the game game plan changes at all. Continue to limit them from the three point line, make them have to beat you with twos 
and make them even. And it's one of those game plans that don't get discouraged with the game plan if it somehow isn't working at the at the rate you want it to. Because I think it is a series winning game plan, but it might cost you, you know, a game or two because guys are good. Um, I, but I, I don't really have a, a lot. There's not a, a ton of in-depth analysis in terms of what they need to do differently. I think they just need to continue to do what they're doing at a high rate. I'm going to agree with that. I'm going to say, like, just keep on keeping on. Like you said, that is the biggest thing. Know that if it's going to happen, and, I mean, it's better now than never, like a Utah comeback, changing their state of mind has to happen for game four. So be ready to match that energy, you know, play with that same uh, ferocity that they've come into and keep trying to stick to the things that work so well for them. The recipe for success right now, the series, while they do have a 2-1 lead, is still far from over. And yeah, although you're going to have Luka back, you are doing things the right way and your the reaction to the game is spoken to that. So I'm with you. There's not too much from a tactical adjustment you can do outside of the old coach speak of having heart, playing with that fire, you know, sticking to your principles, all the great superlatives. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so I think that's it for me in terms of what I feel. I, I'm really excited about what they look like, um, really excited for the adjustments that are that this continue to work. And I, I know that the rumblings that Luca could be on the horizon, but hopefully they save him for game five at home, bring him back, get a warm welcome. And I think that'll have the juices going even more because um, bringing him back in a homestand, well, I think that that is going to send the roof off of that place. So hopefully they they save him and this buys him at least another few days. I don't think he necessarily has to come back with the home court advantage now still going back to uh, going back to Dallas. So that being said, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for coming here. Listen to our podcast. Please continue to subscribe, download Sports Ethos Dallas Mavericks podcast. I'm your host, Lawrence Brooks. You can catch me on Twitter at LBSaidit. That's L-B-S-A-I-D-I-T. And also Sports Ethos Dallas Mavericks, that's E-T-H-O-S-M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K-S. Before we go, my guy Corbin, he's been picked up by another outlet. He's continuing to expand his uh, basketball mind and giving his voice to other people. So I want to tell him congratulations on his uh, recently made... um, Pickup, great acquisition by Phoenix, <laughs> but he will still you, be bro. with us. Um, little quick backstory on how he got over here is I was looking for a co-host and <laughs> me and him did the sports business um, class together. Then we saw each other at the NBA Summer League and I asked him, would he come on and be a co-host with me? And without hesitation, he came on. He said he would be more than happy to do so. He's been with me, and it doesn't surprise me at all that other people want his services. So I just want to send a congratulations again and tell you, man, I'm proud of you. My brother, I appreciate you saying that. That means a ton, man. Thank you. Like, honestly, like you said, just, we've had not only great friendship, just being able to partner up on this for a bit now here, Sportsman's Classroom alums. We go back for a second, and, like, for me, this opportunity is great. I, like you said, we both love hoops. You know, we're trying to find our way out here, and – um. This is big for me. I'm really, I'm really happy. And I just getting these kind of words from you, bro. This means a lot. So uh, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you. Yes, definitely. Uh, let everybody know where they can find you, where they can find your pod, and we'll get okay. out of here. All right. Yes, sir. Definitely. So, I mean, I'm also got a show here on the Sports Ethos Podcast Network. You can find uh, Round Ball Ramble wherever you find your podcast. Ooh. 
what I do there, almost dropped my phone. Aha, that's fun. But um, you can find Round Ball Ramble wherever you find your podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Corbin MBA, C O R B A N M B A. And uh, yeah, any working stuff that I have uh, will be out on that as well as some random, you know, basketball takes. But Lawrence, man, it's always a pleasure coming on with you. I'm so appreciative of this, man. It's, it's always fun, and especially when the Mavericks are winning. Oh, yeah, 100%. So see you guys next time. Game four coming up, 1.30 p.m. on Saturday. Another one in Utah. Let's hopefully they get another win. We get Luca back in the following game. It would be just a magic carpet ride because this has been great to watch without him so far. So talk to you guys soon. You guys stay safe. Go Mavs.